It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! Woohoo! This week, starring Mystery Music Supervisor! Yeah, baby! How exciting is that? Pretty darn exciting. And thank you, fake band. Thank you, iCarly fake audience. Hello, everybody. Let me uh, see who's in that chat room today. Woohoo! Look at that. Everybody showed up nice and on time. We have Martin Gravel, Ken Bauer, composer, Nancy Khalil, Dan Weber, John Pearson, Star Fields, Gregory Ball, Ed Busaker, Darren Fletcher, Alan Hall, Bob Gunnerfelt, Ray Winch, Solid Air Music, Wind Chimes Music, Dean Turner, Rick Cabot, Michael McGraw, Brad Roseborough, uh, Ronald Schultz, uh, let's see, John Michael Kamatz, and House Carl Worsbach, Gregory Ball, Christine Gordon. Anyway, everybody's here. Yay. I'm excited to see you guys. Really excited to do this show today. Um, you guys are going to love our guest. I am working on three hours of sleep. <laughs> My wife got home this morning and uh, she was flying all night uh, from far, far away and uh, had a layover in Newark and I left the, uh, the ringer on on my phone last night because I wanted to know that she landed safely in Newark and my uh, wife and my daughters were all uh, texting each other because they're in different time zones. So I got woken up at two o'clock or two thirty in the morning and then went back to sleep for like an hour and then got woken up later and it was you know up down up down i think i told it out somewhere around three hours of sleep so i'm loopy and stupid um not that different from most mondays actually <laughs> hello edmund red funky freddy charles wilson charlie ernst jesse j peck robert else um so if i'm loopy that's why I, you know how i get loopy when i don't get sleep Oh, look at all that shine on my forehead. May have to go grab my makeup. Um, so if you're not already a subscriber to the channel, go ahead and smash that red subscribe button and subscribe. What the hell? Couldn't hurt. It's free. You get notifications when uh, we go live with stuff. Actually, hit that little alert bell so you get notifications. Um, also want to mention that... Um, oh, no. There we go. Um, by the way, for all those of you who have suggested that I fix the autofocus, I tried over the weekend, and uh, for some reason, it's not taking the command that I'm giving it. Anyway, um, some lucky person who posts in the comments after today's show is going to win a copy of Robin Frederick's great book, Shortcuts to Songwriting for Film and TV. Um, and in order to be a possible winner for that, you need to go into the comment section after we post the archive version of today's show and post a question. Uh, and I'll see whoever has the best question. I will get an answer for you from our music supervisor friend. And, um, and then we will send you a copy of this book when we're allowed to go back to our office. Yep, the Birds of Paradise are there, but those are the last two, and uh, they're looking a little weak, so I think uh, they may be gone the next time you see this face on Taxi TV. Um, so, I want to uh, give you... First of all, I want to tell you the reason that our music supervisor friend is a mystery, we're masking him, 
uh, is because sometimes people who aren't taxi members and don't know the drill get a little carried away and uh, Google these people and this person is pretty Googleable. <laughs> there, I came up with a new word, Googleable. Um, and easy to find and I don't want anybody uh, emailing him or calling him at home and saying, hey man, you gotta listen to my music. So uh, I'm just protecting him because he's a, a close friend that I hold in extremely high regard and I don't want him to be harassed by anybody. Um, so uh, what I can tell you is that he's had a ton of success as a music supervisor, a music editor, a songwriter slash music producer, a soundtrack producer and film production consultant. Uh, he's worked on big feature films, um, lots of TV shows and documentaries, and his approach uh, includes assisting with film budgeting and music strategies, full service music supervising uh, slash clearance coordination, music and song editing and re-record mix oversight. Re-record is when they uh, um, actually, I was going to say pre-record when they have a band actually like go to a bar and, and play because they're going to be playing in a bar in the scene. Um, working with all that's pre-record, not re-record. We'll talk to them about re-records. Working with all within all film and musical styles and genres, overseeing composer and song licensing negotiations and documentation, writing songs and producing music for recordings for films and soundtracks, and assisting with project deliverables. Um, let's get him on the phone. Let's see if I can make it through 90 minutes and not call him by his name. And there you are. Hello? I can make it through 90 minutes and not Hello? <laughs> oh, you gotta kill your sound. It's killed. Okay. Welcome, Mystery Music Supervisor. Woo. I love the sound effects. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> You're welcome. It's going to be so hard for me not to say your name. Hopefully, I don't blow it. Uh, yeah, I'm still hearing your sound come through. No, it should be muted now. Okay. I accidentally hit it back on a second. Oh, okay. Gotcha. All right, so how are you doing uh, in the land of COVID, coronavirus, quarantine, lockdown time? Well, this is a, a strange time, but for some of us in this industry where we all work around the world and solo or basically isolated as we do anyway, it's kind of strange that the world has changed around us, but sometimes every day it's almost like, wait, nothing's changed. <laughs> So, um, but you know, we're, we're, we're so fortunate, honestly, in what we get to do in the life that we get to lead that it's times like this give me a lot of gratitude and compassion because I know that things have changed so much for others that it, it really is a wondering about what is the future, uh, what's the present and what is the future. So it really is kind of humbling to know kind of what everybody and what the world is going through. It's heartbreaking. You know, one out of five people in America is without a job. Um, somebody close to me just lost a uh, close to a multiple six-figure job the other day. 
that uh, he loved and you know it's not going to be easy for him to find another job that he loves as much as that one that pays as well as that is as challenging and gratifying as that especially you know right now with uh, companies just doing so poorly so I'm right with you on the gratitude taxi has been doing really well my staff is all working remotely and uh, performing beautifully so I have a lot to be thankful for as do you and uh what yeah, can... I, and, and I appreciate you, what you're still continuing to do for everybody. And I'm seeing the chat room right now, kind of all the people there. So welcome to everybody that is uh, listening and watching Michael. I actually have you blocked, Michael, on the screen uh, <laughs> be, because there's a lag. So you're actually visually a few seconds behind our chat here. Right. So I get distracted looking at your handsome face. Uh in a time warp. So instead I have you covered and I'm looking at all the people and their comments and uh, just, it's awesome that everybody is together. I'm, I'm sure that you've met some of these people at our convention in the past and uh, they are awesome. You know, I don't know if I even mentioned to you, but I've been doing a, a daily show, not just the weekly 90 minute show on Mondays, but for the last many weeks, I've been doing shows on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday called the Taxi Quarantini Happy Hour. It's just a 60-minute show every day at 4 o'clock. And I've become so attached to this group of people in the chat room. Uh, I think we're all kind of attached to each other that I think we're all a little scared that when we get the all clear and... Uh, the staff and I get to go back to our office and work again, and I no longer do the quarantine happy hours. It's going to be a little heartbreaking, you know? <laughs> it's a little, little different type of collaboration. It's a distance collaboration. Debbie Ward, thanks, Soup. Thank you for being here, Debbie. Um, see, Michael, I'm playing you. I'm channeling, I'm channeling you. Thank you. Um, and, and one thing that the Taxi Road Rally does so well, if I just may, uh, Walking around the road rally every year, one of the joys is to see how the guests, the creative guests, start to meet each other from around the world and you hear collaborative relationships begin just within a conversation. And so even this, reading these chats here and people saying hello to each other and connecting through here, it's such a taxi, such a great way to network and collaborate with people and expand not only your knowledge but your creativity you do a great thing thank you uh i never imagined it would become this but i'm really thrilled that it did and what a great group of people that uh, i'm so fortunate to have in my life uh not just you know on the show or at the road rally but all year long we we don't think of them as, as quote unquote customers at all they are definitely part of, of a family some people call it a cult uh I, I don't think we have any uh, evil intent, so maybe not a cult. But uh, that's, you know. funny. I, I, I don't know what what mask should I wear. Thank you, Akira, for welcoming me as the mystery man. You, Michael, you also referred me referred to me as the masked music supervisor. Right. I love the I love the masked singer. I'm not, I haven't decided on my uh, costume yet to hide myself. Um, think of something. I, I too love that show. It's my guilty pleasure. It, it's really good entertainment. Um, well, I guess I could be a. I could just put on a big poppy mask. Okay. And for those who aren't baseball fans, I'll have no clue what I'm saying. But there's a little hint to me. So 
Okay. Um, so there you go. Uh, um, I would make you a uh, a jack from a deck of cards, like uh, because you're a jack of all trades and one of the very few people I've met in my entire lifetime that is a jack of so many trades and literally the master of them. Well, I, do, I appreciate that. It's you know we love what we do. It's kind of fun to dip our hands into different areas because every day is a new experience and new learning. So, you know, that's kind of how, how that happened. I got involved in areas that I never planned on, but why not? So, yep. So let's get right to it. Um, about an hour ago, I was on the phone with a mutual friend of ours who's a, a music library uh, owner that I know you know, and you guys like each other. Um, he told me to say hello to you. I'll tell you after the show who it was. And uh, he is very fortunate that he has stayed busy throughout this as well. And uh, I asked him if, if he's heard any rumblings about when productions might start shooting again. And he really hasn't. He, he said that, you know, so many editors are working from home that they're getting a lot of, of requests for music via the post-production phase of stuff. But he has no clue when things are going to start shooting. Have you heard any rumblings as to when things will start shooting? Man, people are aching. They're aching to do it. Uh, no, not nothing specific. I know that they're trying to figure out the protocols um, when they shoot. And, of course, there's conversations of scripted versus more reality or unscripted and documentaries and these specials that are around... Um, but as far as just normal scripted feature films, television, I really don't know. I just know that they are really, they're trying to get ready for it because everybody's aching for it. And yes, we are very deep in post-production. Uh, I'm working on a film right now, um, a couple TV series that are in post-production. So work continues for things that have already been in production. Um, so, but as far as new productions, no. It, and when you hear, I'll be anxious to hear from you. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, what are they going to do? Are they going to make everybody? Uh, I imagine that you know, for a while, people will be wearing masks, you know, to the set. Obviously, not the actors when they're actually delivering lines. But you know, uh, as you well know, I went to the airport to pick up my wife this morning, and she came off the plane wearing a surgical mask and the, the plastic face guard. Uh, a, a, wow. A friend of the family gave her one of those PPE uh, plastic face guards. And when I met her at, in the baggage area at LAX, that was what she was wearing. So I hope they don't make them wear that to work. Wow, heck of a kiss. Um, yeah. The, you know, they talk about a little bit less uh, crewing up. You know, so, you know, not a skeleton crew per se, but, you know, you don't need as many PAs, you don't need many uh, assistants, which is a shame because those, all, the, all the people on the crew are integral to what we do. So to, and, you know, people's livelihood and their jobs depend on it also. But I think reality is going to be that they start production in, in a more controlled environment basically and that might affect which projects get greenlit first to go back into production um, some are very location heavy some are studio they might start in the studios as, as opposed to some of the more location heavy productions 
Um, you know, so not sure. It's going to be interesting to watch. Yes, it will. Um, so you once mentioned that there's a difference, that there are music supervisors, and you didn't say it in a mean or condescending way, but you said there are music supervisors who, you know, do their music finders or music pickers, um, and you are somebody who I, I know for a fact is what I would call a full-stack music supervisor who does all the tasks. I mean, you're certainly capable of doing all of them, and I imagine depending on the production, um, how many of those, you know, arrows you have to pull out of your quiver, but um, what what are the things beyond just picking or recommending the music? Uh, should a fully professional working music supervisor be doing in any given uh, production? Well, really, you, we all start from the music side. I shouldn't say we all start. Many of us start from the music side. Some start from the legal administrative side. We do come from it from different angles. Um, the bulk of what people think of a music supervisor, as you just said, is what I call their song pickers. They, you know, a director or a producer or showrunner, depending on the project, the, the creative general will say, oh, I like this song, I need a song like this. And they'll go out and they'll research songs like that. They'll be pitched to them from independence or they will... Uh, you know, just go through their library of what they have, or they'll, they are just, they know the big hit songs out there or the brand new artist releases from the labels. They will find songs, put a folder of songs together and send them to the, the director. And that's their job. And that's well and good because that really is the fun root of what we're doing. We're using music to help tell our stories. So finding the songs is important. The other jobs that get involved, uh, and, and interrupt me if I you know, ramble off a little bit, um, but the other jobs are, you know, I'll get involved in song spotting, which we'll talk about. Right. I get in, I get involved in finding and researching and hiring composers, which a lot of music supervisors don't. Um, I, I'd like coming in, if possible, in the pre-production stage, so I will actually read scripts and go through in the pre-production meetings when possible to help even set designers identify what scenes might have music playing in a source situation. A source being a stereo, a boombox, a car radio, um, a little stage off on the side of a cafe where a live band might be playing so we can help identify so when they're actually shooting they can perhaps put that in just so later if music is playing there there's a little bit of realism that oh yeah i believe there's a song playing there because i saw stereo in the background somewhere so i'll get involved in that i i myself get involved in music editing from a song standpoint i don't really do score um editing the whole different talent and hats off to real experienced music editors and I'll explain later why I got involved in the editing. My process is different. Um, I think we've talked about this before. I don't ever play songs. I show songs mm -hmm. to my director. So I've basically learned how to use Pro Tools, etc. So I will actually do some song editing, and I will then oversee delivery 
I'll work with the composer. Uh, I'll have the meetings with the director, with the composer. I'll get involved again in spotting, in the review session, in making sure the composer has what they need so we can deliver final music to the mix stage. You were talking about re-record mixers. And I make sure delivery is there so the logistics and the technical elements are handled. And then very often I will be at the mix to just be another set of ears for the director or the producer as the project gets mixed. Um, it's not just about the music, but my ears are, are attuned to audio, to the auditory sense. So while a director or producer, they're doing the an audio mix, the sound mix, I'm there just as somebody who, I love the picture, but my ears are basically front and center. My ears are my eyes. So they yeah. use me a lot for that. All the way through to distribution, I have to make sure all the paperwork is done, all the licensing, the clearances, the licensing, the proof of payments, um, everything is in a nice little package. So when they deliver to a distributor, all of the music elements are signed, sealed, delivered. So soup to nuts, basically. Yeah, many of the supervisors I've met during my career don't do all that stuff. The, the older, more experienced, I don't mean chronologically or age older, I mean like they've been around for a while, they tend to do it. Um, John Houlihan is one that comes to mind. He's a guy who's extremely comprehensive, such as yourself. He, he once uh -huh. said to me, the sign of, one of the signs of being a great music supervisor is knowing that you've got a director or an EP or somebody in power um, that absolutely loves a song that is absolutely out of their budget and they will not give in and all the way up till the mix stage they're saying damn it I want you know miss you by the Rolling Stones in my movie come on get it for me they think that just by holding a hard line that the uh, music soup can magically you know get a half a million or million dollar song for 25,000 bucks um, so he said the sign of a great music supervisor, a professional one, is having three or four replacements, you know, on your phone ready to go. So when that person finally caves in on the mix stage and knows, okay, it's do or die time, I can't get the song, to be able to say, I've got some other songs that you may like. And, and he generally won't play the one that he wants th that uh, director or producer to pick. He won't play it first. He'll play it second or third because the first, the reaction of the first one is, "You're not going to convince me otherwise." <laughs> so right. you've got, got to let him warm up. So is that a, a, a not a trick, but a, a methodology that you've employed at times? Well, I, I work a little differently because I work on mostly independent features. Yeah, uh, you know, they end up at the major studios, but with that. I actually don't want to take, you know, if you do that when you're on the mix stage and you're on a mix day, you've just wasted time that they could be mixing. Right. You know, if you, if you have five days to mix, you don't want to use a half hour or an hour to do, do something like that. So I will do that pre prior to the mix, but a similar version of that, I will start to sit down with them. Look, a, a major film that I was involved in, uh, the director would not get off of. I mean, we're talking Beatles Revolution. When he finally, I said, you can't have that. He said, you know, well, how about a police song? You know, and then he, he was like basically going that route. How about, a, okay, if I can't have the Beatles, how about a U2 song? And I'm like, okay, after you give me some of what you're smoking, let's have a reality check here. 
but I was actually authorized by the film producer to use this line on the director, and I had to be polite, but it was kind of felt good to say this. I said, I've been authorized to tell you that, yes, director, you can have any song you want, including the Beatles song, because you have your checkbook handy, right? You do have it with you. <laughs> and it's amazing how the director then says, well, actually, it's not that song I need. It's just something like it. And they back down immediately. So yeah. the minute that they think they have to pay for it, that's how you get them to back down from that. So that was kind of my fun little knife twist and go, can we, can we just get past it now? I love that story. Uh, so can you tell us some of the differences between supervising a film and supervising episodic television, probably, you know, like a 60-minute drama, let's say. Uh, is it the same job or are there twists and turns that make it different? Well, it, it's... There's similarities, of course. The difference becomes in scheduling and time. Um, it also usually the budgets are different and it also is in a series you're telling you know let's say there's a let's say there's a 10 episode arc a 60 minute drama so you now have 600 minutes instead of 90 minutes so you you're really using the music to set what I call the voice of your production that's where the similarity is um where sometimes a song is a one-off song, sometimes it's the setting, you're, you're in a bar, a restaurant, I mean, if you always go back to that set, that setting, there's gonna be that similar type of music. Hey, that's the jazz cafe, this is the college rock you know, bar. Um, you have that, so you have set those up, so in a recurring television show, you know, hey, we're always going back to those settings, we can reuse songs, or I can just really build a folder full of songs for that setting. Where a film, yes, you do go back to those, but a film really, because it's a 90 or 100 or 110 minute piece of work, you're really fitting what I call the realism element, but the emotion is being driven by the score and hopefully by the acting. Um, So very slight differences. Again, scheduling and budgets are big. TV moves fast. I can have a month to 10 months on a film wow. in post-production. TV, the minute where, you know, sometimes I've been getting basically a locked cut on a Monday and the next Wednesday we're mixing and we're already mixing last episode this week so I have to make sure delivery and I'm involved in the mixes, but now I have to spot and find all the songs for next week's episode and I have a week because we're mixing next week. Um, some series are more drawn out than that and you get the locked cuts early and you kind of work through post-production seasons some you literally are getting picture and then you're mixing the following week so that's a that's the biggest change so not only in the the scenario of episodic tv do you have that week that you have to find the stuff you have to make sure it's you know it's clear what yeah you have to make sure it's you have to find it you have to edit it in you have to make sure it's cleared right for your budget, you know, so you have the legal right to use it within your budget. And so that's, TV is a whole different, you know, be be careful what you asked for. Years ago, I was doing so many films. I'm a TV-holic, um, you know, frustrated old actor wannabe theater major at one point. And for me, I watch TV a lot. 
and of course I get to justify this research. Really, it's just called being you know lazy and worn out. But doing my, I become a TV holic, so I was, I was like, I just want to do TV. And all of a sudden, I got involved in TV, and I've done four hundred some odd episodes of different shows. And it's like, oh, careful what you ask for, because there's no sleep. You just go. Yeah. Well, that's why they invented coffee. Um, Do supervisors ever pick something that they don't necessarily love, but it works really well in the scene? Because people, I think a lot of musicians have this, I believe, misguided conception that um, if only that music supervisor, they think of music supervisors like A&R people. Like, man, oh man, if you just heard my song, you would want to use it. But they really don't understand the context of how things get used. So do you ever pick music? This is a two-sided question. Uh, do you ever pick music just because you love something so much and you find a way to shoehorn it in? And the flip side of that is, do you ever end up putting something in a TV show that you don't love, but it works so well in a scene that you know it's the right thing to do? Um, both. Um, for the most part, it has nothing to do with my taste in music. It has nothing to do with, uh, music I like, my favorite songs or a favorite artist. Um, so to, to give this away, anybody that's been at the rally that's here in the, the chat, they've probably heard me say this, so you can remind them not to give away my name here, but they'll know who this is. Um, I very often, when I do seminars, I will tell people uh, two things. One, I'll have them raise their hand. So actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the people in the chat room here just, just to answer, give a quick little answer. If I'm played three songs for this spot, I mean, this is the obvious answer. So everybody is probably going to write yes, so they should write yes. I'm going to pick the best song for that spot, whether I like it or not. Does right. everybody agree with that? Uh, plus one, if you guys agree. It'll take oh, is that, you, is yeah, that, that your code? Yeah, exactly. Okay. It'll take a couple seconds to show up in the chat because of the delay. And there's Greg Carrozza with the first plus one. So, yeah, everybody who's showing a plus one agrees. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> awesome. You're all wrong, so stop plusing one. Um, that's that's my trick question okay. uh, and, and this is all semantics and it's more me having fun with you I don't pick the best song I pick the right song and what I mean by that is I'm often I'm often pitched music or I'll find a song that I would much prefer song A than song B song A I'm going to put that on my Spotify playlist I'm going to love that song I just I want to listen to that when I'm hiking or walking or doing something else for some reason, when I edit it into the picture, something about it distracts. It might be the hi-hat. It might be a certain lyric phrase. It just might be almost so good that sonically it pulls my attention to the music. With the other song, it's not saying anything great. It's a nice melody. It's a nice song. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing earth-shattering. Nothing I'd put on my Spotify playlist, but it's fine. And when I edit it into the scene, it just supports everything. It does not call attention to itself, yet for some reason it heightens the emotion of what the actors are talking about. So the answer there is, it's not even about what I like. It's about what is right for the scene. 
you know, I, I do come from the music business. I was a songwriter, producer, longtime music publisher. Um, and, uh, where was I going with that? But I'm no longer in the music business. I'm in the film and television business. We are here, and this is really important for all the people out here in the chat room that are, that are songwriters, performers, singers, producers. It, it really is not about your music. It's not about you. Now, saying that, we love your music. We need your music. Your music's vitally important to us. But the purposing of connecting in a synchronization world, synchronizing audio and the music with picture, the per- you have to think about the purposing of it. It's just like casting, when you're casting an actor. I have to cast the song to fit the purpose of the scene. And there's times where I've taken very similar songs from the same album, from the same artist. You put one song up, because a lot of times you go to old, old albums and man, all the songs sound pretty similar because mm-hmm. it's from that artist at that moment in time. One song will call attention to the male actor. The other song calls attention to the female actor. That's when I have a discussion with the director saying, what is the point? What are, what's, what's your intention with this scene? Is What are you trying to convey to the audience? Where are you leading them? So it isn't about this is a long-winded answer, but it's a, it's an important one. It, it's not about the music I love. It's not about anybody's great song. It's about how that song serves the intention of the scene. That's a great answer. I completely agree with you, and I probably learned that from you. Um, somebody asked, uh, and it's appropriate to this discussion, so how can we as songwriters, creators, musicians, what can we do to make our music better, more desirable for you and the music supervision community at large. Um, I, I elaborated a little bit on his question, but I think that's the essence of what he wanted to know. What can they do to make it better for you? Um, well, first of all, whoever asked that, they, do, do you remember who it was that asked that? Yeah, I think it was Alex Dillon. Okay. Um, well, Alex, already has a leg up on a way of thinking because it is about a long-term relationship i always tell people be in it for the long game uh don't be in it for am i getting my song used today end of story if you don't use my song i don't like you being for the long game so asking a question like that is part of building a relationship um it really is about about research um, you know, let me let me back up. The most important thing that you can do is write a song that is true to yourself. Be the artist that you want. Do not write for me. You know, how many people have heard, I'm sure, Michael, you've heard the term, you know, writing for sync. Right. Right? Of course. I'm, I'm not a fan of writing for sync because what you're doing is you're trying to guess what we need and we don't know. We don't always know what we need until we until we find it. Until we go through our test process, we may think we need, you know, a country ballad about loss, and we end up totally finding some uptempo punk song about hope. I mean, you know, we don't know. We try things out. Um, so 
that's one thing. So don't. So the writing for sync to me doesn't make sense. The other problem with writing for sync is, um, and the writers I'm sure here in this chat room have you know thought about this. Sometimes they'll write a song for a project or because they're quote wanting to get it used, and if it doesn't get used for that project they're aiming for or for a period of time, they look at it and go, I don't even like this song. It's not a song I like. Write songs that you're proud of. Now, what can you do? What you can do is make it, and this is the old music publisher in me talking, make the song the best song it can be, whether it's used or not in a film, TV show, artist, whatever, make it. Write a great song, and great is subjective. So don't, if you look at your song, don't have any word or any note that you just went, yeah, that's fine. That's good enough because I really want to finish this and knock it out. Make it as great as you feel that song itself can be. And it's going to be different than your next song and the song you wrote before and the song you write next week. Make it a great song. So that's what I mean by that. So then you're always going to be proud of that song. Then it's about finding, then it's about the casting. It's about doing your research. It's about trying to, first of all, put your, business in order did you write it by yourself did you co-write it if you co-wrote it is your co-writer published somewhere or do they own the publishing know who owns the master if you went in with three musicians is everyone going to claim a piece of the master recording or do you know know who owns what part of the rights so when you pitch the song to someone like me and i say i love the song who owns it can I clear it with you? And you're like, well, I think my co-writer's published and there's a few producers that kind of claim part of the track. <laughs> I have to move on. I'm done. I've moved on. So know your business of your song. Write the song that makes you proud and you happy and, and fulfilled. Sonically, make it the best it can be. Now, I'm going to give a caveat to that. It can be a iPhone guitar vocal. It could be a rough mix of your rehear your band rehearsal track. Any of those work, okay? If I have a scene with a band in the corner of a bar and I just kind of see them in the corner and they're playing, if a song is too polished for the radio, a beautiful, perfect mix, it probably wouldn't work. It'll sound like a radio song, not that band playing in the corner of the bar. So, so sometimes a rough mix of just a live rehearsal, it works. So if it's an emotional ballad and you give me an iPhone guitar vocal and I can't even really understand the lyric because, or the melody because it's just hear a lot of strumming on your guitar because your guitar is right next to the phone, that doesn't work. But if it's just a rhythmic song and that's what I feel, maybe that does work. So no, have the song presented in a way that highlights what you're wanting that listener to get from your song. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, it does. And along the same lines, uh, before you talked about the, the location or the setting, um, let's talk about universal lyrics as, as they apply. If you're going, if you're looking for a song that's going to be featured in a montage, therefore it's, you know, no dialogue under it or over it, I mean, um, uh-huh. and the lyric in the song is basically filling in the storyline to some extent, 
universal lyrics would be important there because you can't say uh, my favorite reference, you know, uh, I met Susie under the Eiffel Tower on, on New Year's Eve because it, it blows right. it. So on the flip side of that, let's say you're looking for a song back to that bar you were just talking about, and it's just something coming out of a jukebox, uh, you know, in a kind of a, a biker bar situation. Um, do universal lyrics matter in the background source music scenario like they matter for a feature placement in a montage? Okay, with the caveat that this, there are exceptions to everything. Right, so of course. These are rules, but they're not absolutes. So I just want the listeners to know that. Um, it matters less because if it's gonna be background in a bar, or in a restaurant scene, or even playing on a car radio, and there's dialogue, especially if there's dialogue over it. Um, I would say one thing: you want, if you know what you're aiming at, if you know the scene you're aiming at, you want to stay away from literalness. That is pretty much now. I do have happy accidents, but the song isn't about, you know, if there's a couple that is on a romantic date and they go to. A restaurant and there's music playing there's songs with lyric playing in the background there probably wouldn't be a song playing on their radio that is about a couple going on a date to a restaurant having dinner right now, and, and just saying that, they won't be going to that restaurant for quite some time anyway right exactly <laughs> so so what so you don't want to be literal because it's not real um you know if you just broke up the, the, the character just broke up with their, you know, she broke up with her boyfriend. She's going to just get in the car and take off. And she turns on the radio because she's sad. And on comes a song saying, I can't believe he left me. You know, what am I going to do? It's not real. Don't be literal. So when you know, if somebody's saying, hey, I need a song for a certain scene, don't be literal. If there's a car chase and I'm going to be blaring my radio while they're ch while the cops are chasing me, the song on the radio isn't going to be about a car chase. Could okay. it? Could the song on the radio be you know uh, Need for Speed or something that is in the general neighborhood, or would uh, that be too? I, I, on I, would, I, I would say for for people on this uh, on this listening session right here, no. Okay. Now. I might find, we might, if it's a comedy, first of all, there's one of the exceptions. Comedy is very often will touch upon literalness because it actually, if something's literal, it becomes funny. Right. Okay? So you have to be careful of that. Now, that would be more of a montage song where director's choice would be, I want to have a need for speed song. Okay? Now, what you can do is match, think about this, match the mood and the emotion and what that person's going through. If there's a car chase and they turn the radio on, they're probably not going to turn the radio on to a nice, soft, little, mellow <laughs> jazz station. <laughs> they're going to be rocking out. So it can be a rocking out song. So you're matching the mood and the vibe and the energy of the scene, and that works. Um, if the girl just broke up with her boyfriend and she's in the car, she's not going to turn on a rocking station. She might turn on... You know, one of those adult contemporary things, and there, it, it will be kind of maybe sad-ish, not lyrically, but it'll just it'll it'll make her either feel sad, like she's not alone, 
or to give her help and hope. So it's really about matching the emotion and the energy of what the character is going through. Make it real. Think about realism. In your real life, when you go into you know, Target or you go into a store, a clothing store, and they're playing songs, you know, used to go into Abercrombie and Fitch and they're like blasting the music. Well, the songs weren't about buying clothes at a store. Right. It just puts you in the mood to buy clothes. So that's how we cast songs and how it has to match where we are in the story at that point. You and I and sometimes, ahead. And sometimes they're not obvious. Sometimes we will juxtapose. So when you think, you know, I always tell with composers, um, Bernard Herrmann, who is the composer for a lot of uh, Hitchcock's films, he had a great statement. He goes, he said, I don't need to compose what's on, what's on uh, the screen because it's already on the screen. If they're running, I don't need to compose a fast piece of score. If someone's crying, I don't need to compose a sad piece of score. Same thing with songs. We don't go literal. It's already there. So how are we supporting it? At one of our lunches or dinners, you once said to me, you've got to think of everything. Um, how old are the people in this? Uh, you know, what, what generation are they? What music did their generation listen to? Because depending on where they are, what's playing in the background would be something that they might have chosen and they wouldn't necessarily pick Frank Sinatra even though it might elevate or enhance the mood or the story. Um, and I thought that was a keen observation that it's not only about um, enhancing the mood, it's not only about establishing the location, it's not only potentially about the subject matter at hand, but it's also about who who is there for background source in particular, who, who is in the room and how old are they? And you know, what, what did they grow up listening to? What did they listen to now as a 26 year old? I thought that was, was really, yeah, there was a, there was a series I worked on the last few years and that came into play very often because I had some characters in their mid thirties who were kind of living a grown-up life, you know, real jobs and real cars and real mortgages. And they'd befriended a younger person who was, you know, kind of uh, graduate school, uh, kind of hipster, partier, you know, let's go smoke out and have a good time every night. And so we used music that when they were at certain places, who was leading that? Who was the lead character that was that that scene was about if they were all in a neutral location that became important but also when we were in certain settings there was a little fish out of water the young person would feel a fish out of water in their you know the 30 something venues and once in a while the 30 somethings had to go to the 20 somethings venue to be you know pretend that they were hip and we're still cool and so the, we use that age, what you're talking about, the demographic. Mm -hmm. and, and again, that's 10 years apart. So 35-year-olds and 25-year-olds aren't listening to diametrically different music. Right. But, but for the show, I did extend it a little bit so we could ab absolutely create a little bit of a difference because sometimes we did have that fish-out-of-water uh, element in the storyline, so it would highlight the style of music. Let's talk about the quantity of material that you might go through. Uh, let's say that you're working on, on that scene. You're working, you know, it's a, a club that a bunch of 
30-somethings go to every Friday night, regular crew of people, they hang out there, whatever life scenarios they're talking about, and you just need um, some background source music that's going on 30 feet away in that bar. How many pieces of music might you audition for that scene? It could be hundreds. Um, I mean, it could be many more than that. When I get, I mean, what I do is my process, and every music supervisor is different, right. okay? This is another giveaway to those people who have heard me at maybe the rally, um, so they don't need to say my name, but they'll, they'll know who this is. I'm the odd person that likes getting MP3s. Right. Uh, once we have, uh, I, I send me an email with an MP3. And then once we have a relationship, I might say, play me a lot more songs, send me a link. But don't start with a link because I don't have time to listen to the link. I'm listening to thousands of songs every single week. I'm always doing multiple projects. Um, so what I have to do with that is prioritize, and this is where the long game relationship comes in. When I'm pitched songs, I listen to everything. I think one of your other things you're going to ask me is, how do I listen? Uh, but I listen to everything. But because of time, I have to prioritize. If I have worked with people before and they've been easy to work with, hey, I like your song, who owns the rights? Oh, you have the answer. Okay, here's my budget. I'd like to clear this. Are we okay with this? Oh, the answer is yes. Boom, done. With that relationship, I usually put them to the front of my email chain and start to listen to their songs first. Because if I find the right song, I'm done. So that's another one of my questions is, let's say you've got 432 pieces of music you're going to listen to for that scene. And on song number 17, you go, ding, 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 we have a winner. The hearts of those other 380 or whatever people, you know, are going to be broken if they only knew... Um, do you they weren't listen to <laughs> right you, yeah. so once you find what you need you don't keep listening to what's in the folder do you um not always i mean the, the truth the truth is not always now i don't know how other supervisors are and everybody emotionally is different i feel fortunate for having done this for many years to be able to do what i'm doing i'm humbled i'm grateful i've had over the years as we all have Someone has held our life in their hand, a moment of our life, I should say, in their hand. Hire me for this job. Pick me for the team. <laughs> say yes to my offer to go on a date. Whatever it is. <laughs> Somebody else has, in that moment, kind of has a little piece of your destiny. I do take that to heart. I understand that me using someone's song is a very big potential positive step on their path. It's not the end all, but it's, I know, I understand that it will have an impact on them. Likewise, when I don't pick their song, it has another impact on them. So I, I do take that to heart. So I do try to listen. Um, but I would say this, what you're doing is you're developing a relationship. Very often, if I find the 17th song and ding, 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 that's it, done. I always need more songs and I'm somebody that keeps songs around and I'll keep those emails. I don't 
delete them. They're still on my computer. And I put my emails in folders. So it might be, you know, happy punk songs. Right. Um, country bow country sad ballads mail you know i might i might just parse them so for this show i was looking for that well three films later i might go oh for this scene i need like a happy punk song well i'm going to put a search out for that but i already did that like eight months ago let me go through those lists of happy punk songs maybe the happy punk song works for this film instead of that tv show it's still a happy punk song so i they understand that your song at some point may or will get listened to. Don't assume it didn't. But if we if you if we like your song, know that we're going to get back to you. We have to get to you. If we don't like your song, it isn't has no judgment on the song. It's about it not being right for that moment. So uh, let me take that back. It's not that we don't like your song. If your song isn't right for that moment. We're so busy, we don't have the time to get back to everybody. Thousands of people pitching. I, I can't I can't take the time to just tell people no. But know that if we're going to use a song, we can't use it without contacting you, so you will get feedback. And I will say, once in a great while, Michael, I have heard a song going, I don't know that I can make this fit, but I cannot get this song out of my mind. Right. Once in a while, I will contact someone back and go, can't use your song. Love your song. Please keep in touch with me. Please pitch me more songs for my next project. Okay? So it does happen. But don't be disheartened when you don't hear back from a music supervisor. They're busy. They're listening to your song. Trust me that we need you. We need your music. So we're so, not ignoring you. No. I, look, music, every single music supervisor I think that I've ever met and had any substantive conversation with they're all fans first. Most of them are musicians, but all of them, 100% of them, are probably bigger fans of music than everybody in the chat room today. I mean, some of these people are a little scary to me how big they know, you know, like who played guitar on the bridge of that song in 1974. I'm a fan, I'm a studio right. rat, and I don't even know that, so I'm impressed by that. But they don't get back just like you because they just don't have the time. And if they did get back to somebody, well, why didn't you use it? Um, right. Well, you know, you don't have the time to go into that. Well, can I send you something else? Because I've got something else that sounds like it's a, exactly what you're looking for. Well, I can't use it now because I've already, you know, put this other one in the show and, it, and it's already, you know, been sent over to the EP. So, no, right. I, I, you know, they, you guys just don't have the time. So yeah. with, with the time, I also, would get, I also would say get the word "but" out of your sentence to, to people. I know you don't need a country ballad, but, but. <laughs> I have a but I have a great rock song for you. You know, or I, I have a great no. I know you don't need a country ballad, but I have a great country ballad for you. There you go. Don't say but. Don't say but. So uh, sticking with the the time element thing. Um, how do you listen? Uh, do you listen to the first few seconds and go, okay, um, vibe-wise, it's there, sonically, it's there, and then do you skip down the waveform? Do you look for any sort of evidence of a developmental arc by looking at the waveform? Do you look at the waveform? I know a lot of reality show editors look at waveform for uh, edit right. points. 
um, and art. Do you do that with songs that you would use as background source in a bar scene as well? Um, how far in do you listen? Give us some idea of what goes on in that regard. Okay. First of all, you're talking about source music, and, and that's important because for the people on that are listening right now to this today, 99% of what you'll be pitching for are, is source music. Right. Okay. And because a featured end title song or a big montage, those do come up, but we hunt those down in a much more specific manner. And if you're starting out and really developing relationships, know that 99% of the music we need are source music, and that's what you should be pitching for, which actually makes it a lot easier. It's, it's more general in that universal sense that you were talking about, mm -hmm. um, so you have more accessibility to landing a spot. So that said, what I do is I have a sense, and this is where different music supervisors work differently. Some are more experienced. I've had enough experience now to be able to just understand intrinsically what I think that I need or I'm looking for. And I put it that way because I never know <laughs> until, I, until I know. But, and other people have assistants who listen for them and pre-screen good or bad or is it in the genre or the style that I need. I don't, I do all my own listening. So what I do is I will listen, I'll hit play on the song, see how it starts, give it about three to five seconds. I'll just pull, like on an MP3, I have just a little timeline. I'll just scroll it forward, maybe to where I'm guessing the end of the first verse might be, kicks into the chorus. Then I'll scroll towards maybe where my, a bridge might be. Then I might go to the end to see where it lifted up and where it really got big. So now I have the beginning, I have a verse, I have the end chorus. So now I have a, an understanding of the arc in a very general sense. And again, I'm not looking for lyric specific. So nobody has to say, yes, but the turn of the phrase that I used in the second verse, I'm not looking for lyric specific. It's about feel, emotion, aesthetic, um, psychology. It's all those types of words. It's really easy to, to go to know what doesn't work. So the difference between a no and a maybe is really easy to tell. Okay. Maybe to a yes, that's where I've now put my maybes into a separate folder. Because I'm like, this, I need to listen to this more. Where really, because let's say I'm going to use 30 seconds of a song or 45 seconds of a song. Then I'm going to listen to the whole song and go, okay, I can go from the first verse Maybe the end of the chorus as I lead into the scene, but then the bulk of the song, I'm going to be in the second verse, and right before it kicks into the second chorus, I'm out of the scene. That works. So that's when I'll listen to more of the song. But my first listen, you probably got 10 seconds. Yeah, that sounds Honestly. like a, a fair answer, typical of what I hear from most of my supervisor friends, that, uh, yeah, they have that uh, spidey sense. It's, yeah, and it's... And it's and again, most of it is, I don't need a country ballad. You start playing it and go, it's a country ballad. Next. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, and also, it becomes sonic uh, quality. Let's say it is a stereo that's playing. So it is a, you know, they have a radio playing somewhere. If you have a song that is in the style of, let's say, we're looking for a Jason Mraz kind of song. 
take your song, if you're going to pitch for a Jason Mraz style spot, take your song and build a playlist with Jason Mraz, John Mayer, um, you know, Teddy Geiger, Kobe Calais, you know, whoever you want, mix your song amongst this playlist and just take a walk and listen. Does your song hold up? Does it really sound like it belongs in that playlist? Sonically, stylistically, and the quality of the presentation, does it fit? Because, again, I grew up doing song demos. And nowadays, demos become your masters. But once in a while, demos sound like demos. They're just not finished. Yep. And, again, I've used a guitar vocal from two female writers one played guitar and sang, and the other kind of hummed a little bit in the back, a little harmony. And they just, it was a work tape. But for some reason, they got lucky that their recording of it, the guitar just felt rich and nice in their living room, and the vocal was simple and clear, not too loud. It just blended beautifully. But it was a guitar vocal, rough work tape on an iPhone. I've used it in about four or five films because there's been a little cafe or a diner that needed just a hint of a Colby Calais kind of folky LA folk type song. And it was mixed just so you knew there was music playing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I would lay that in there and it just sounds like that exactly in the background. It doesn't call attention to itself, but it blended perfectly. Yep. Music is rarely the star. Right. Um, so let's talk about negotiation a bit. Uh, you talked about you know finding something, and then the next phase, obviously, is reaching out to the creator, finding out if the song's going to clear, and you've got a budget, presumably. Let, let's stick with episodic TV. Let's say it's a weekly drama, and you're probably, I'm guessing, somewhere in the 3,500 to 4,500 range, maybe 2,500 to 4,500 range. Um, What if a potential project offers a musician too little money or no money at all? Um, Should they take that deal? Well, know that our budgets are all over the place. And for the most part, and I just worked on a show where I was working with other supervisors and they had worked on some big network thing that, you know, put it this way, we said it's a 10 episode arc for this uh, kind of smaller network comedy and very tight budget. And we had $50,000. And their answer was, oh, that's I think for 50,000 episodes. That's, you know, we can, we can handle that. And I was like, no, no, 50,000 for the season. <laughs> I saw okay. that coming, yeah. Yeah. Now, then it becomes a question of, okay, that's a budget that's given us. So now we have a puzzle. Are there two songs or eight songs per episode? Well, we don't know that until we get the picture lock and really can spot it. But, you know, we can guess from history of working on this show, other seasons, or with the director, the producer, the showrunner. Yes, it's not a music-heavy show, but they really like music, so we're probably talking four songs an episode. Okay, four, let's see, 50, now we're talking five an episode, so now we're talking 12.50 per song. Well, then you have a master, 
which is half of that. Now you're talking 670, no, whatever it is. My math is off, but you know, you get it. All of a sudden you're talking 600 aside. And if you have two writers and two publishers, now you're talking 300 for each. So the numbers get carved up. The truth is our budgets are our budgets. We don't save, we don't, we don't make more money if we don't spend it. We're not heroes if we don't spend their money. And we don't have any more money. So basically, it's the puzzle for us to fit. So what I say is you have to build a relationship with a supervisor. Are there supervisors or producers or studio personnel that will always try to lowball you? And you might be able to say, you know, how about a little bit more? Here's my counter. Sure. It's okay to ask. You can say, oh, that's a little low. You're offering me $1,000 for that spot. I really want 2500 My answer is either going to be, we want your song so bad, let me see what I can do because maybe I can cut two other song spots out and have them score. So now I've saved money, so I have extra money for your spot. 95% of the time, my answer is going to be, I wish I had it, but I don't. Okay? And especially if it's a source song, we have what we have. Again, by paying you less money, I'm not making more money. So I don't gain anything from paying somebody less money. I just have to make my budget fit. Because if I'm in the ninth episode of a series and all of a sudden, okay, I've spent 50000 but they want songs in episode nine and 10. I have no money left. What do I do? So it really is a puzzle. Same thing with a film. I have X dollars. Now, you know, like we said earlier, but if the director really wants that hit song or somebody's brand new song, if the director wants to pull out his checkbook, you know, find extra monies. And there are times where they'll find extra monies. Um, I would say this. A few years ago, there was some Internet. I think it was someone from England was some writer was creating this big hubbub and getting this worldwide conversation out of this Twitter conversation or whatever about people are devaluing these music supervisors and synchronization world are devaluing our music. You know, I'm offered a hundred dollars for a song. Um, you know, how rude, uh, you know, the whole, and it was just like really getting everybody bent out of shape. You know, that's offensive. They're devaluing the music. My answer is no, we like your song. We'd like to use your song. We have $100. You own your song. You are in control of your destiny. Don't get mad. Just say, thank you, no. <laughs> if you feel that you should be getting $10,000 instead of 100 say no and keep pitching your song and wait and hope that someone likes your song and it fits the exact spot in a project that has a budget that will pay 10000 for your song. That's fine. We're not offended. We put on our big boy pants, our big whoever pants. (laughs) And if you tell us no, we are bummer. We really like your song. I thought my job was done for that scene. I understand. I'll have to go find another song. I remember that dust up. It was started by PJ Bloom, who's a pretty famous music supervisor. In an interview, he said something to the effect of, I don't think we're that far away from the day where musicians are going to have to pay to get their song in a TV show or a film. And uh-huh. and, and that's where the whole devaluation of music thing came from. And um, yeah, you're right. They can always say no. 
just just say no. I mean, and if somebody wants to offer us money to put it in, great. I will tell you this. If you offered us $100 to put your song in, our answer might not always be yes because it is about the film. We have, you know, a million dollars into that episode or that, that feature. We're not going to sacrifice it by putting the wrong piece of music in, just like you don't want to put the wrong actor in or the wrong set design because it was cheaper or it still has to be right. But don't be offended. You own it. You're allowed to hold to whatever value that you feel it should be. Now, with that, I'll say this. Our deals are confidential. We never tell anybody what we pay anybody. So when we license a song for you and pay you whatever, A, if it's something that's going to broadcast somewhere, you have a high potential of making something from your performance royalties, from ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, um, PRS, APRA, wherever you live, okay? Right. And so you're going to make performance royalties, hopefully, if this project sees the light of day and, and broadcasts for a period of time. So you still have that. The other is, if you're an artist especially, or a manager or a producer, again, nobody else knows that you made $100 or $20,000 on it. You can use that to now pitch your music to someone else saying, hey, my song was used in X, Y, and Z. Do you want to use my song? We then look at that and go, oh, well, this person's getting good attention. They must at least be quality. I should listen to them. I'm never going to say, well, what did you get paid last time? Okay, So you, you use that to market yourself. If you're an artist and you're going on tour and you want to sell tickets, use it. Hey, check out my song featured in this movie or that TV show. Hey, yeah. come see my show. I'll play that song for you. So your job is to make hay, make a mountain out of that molehill. And, and I want everybody watching the show to know that this is coming from a man who's got the soul of a musician. This is not, uh, you know, an industry business person that's looking to find material cheap. You're an advocate for musicians, um, but you're also a realist. Well, and that's why I also say write the music, sing the music, create what makes you proud, makes you at the end of the day say, this one's for me, I love this. So then when it gets used, no matter what the dollars are, you can look and say, I got, I got this use, I'm gonna go play this on stage, I'm on the right track, okay? Um, I worked with a major artist, I would say, would this give me away? Um, nah, it won't give me away. <laughs> Years ago, I was in Nashville, and I, it was one, some of my early days, I was working with an artist, uh, Eddie Rabbit, and Eddie told me a story that he was going to be signed to his first record deal based on a song. That's how it worked back then. It's kind of like we love your single. That's your single. You know, we're gonna we're gonna sign you, and that's gonna be your hit single. Unfortunately, at the same time, an artist called and said, "Hey, I want to I want to record your song." Mm. He told his he told his potential label, and the label said, "Well, if you let him use use your song, I'm, we're not gonna sign you." He had to make a choice, and he told me his choice came down to if that was the only hit song that I was ever going to write, I was going to have a short career anyway. So he allowed 
Elvis Presley to record Kentucky Rain. Wow. So, you know, and, and I love that. If, that. if that was my only shot, my only song that was going to be worthy and good, I was going to have a short career anyway. That's great advice. Um, when you are in the throes of picking music for a scene and you've got hundreds of pieces of music, probably in several folders from several different force, uh, sources, um, do song titles play into increasing the probability of something being chosen because it attracts your eye? Mm, no. It, it can detract, maybe, okay. if... I think to use one of your songs, if the song title was, you know, Sally under the Eiffel Tower, right. you, you mentioned about Sally in Paris before, um, that, that might, I might look and go, oh, it's going to be French sounding, or it's going to be specific about Sally in Paris, and I need something not to call attention to itself. So it could detract, but for the most part, no, don't worry about song titles. Um, what I what I would say you you know you were talking about we've had this conversation before about metadata. Mm -hmm. um, the most important thing that matters is that I know how to contact the person who sent me the song. So what are the critical? That was the next thing on my list here. Critical pieces of metadata that you need as a supervisor. How to? Well, give me a title so I know what the song is, um, or some reference. Mm -hmm. And I need to know how to contact you. I need your name, your email address, your phone number. Um, is it imperative that the splits, writer splits are in there, publisher splits? Um, helpful, especially if you can tell me the splits of who controls the licensing. Because you might have three writers and then a separate singer. But if you own 100% of the licensing rights, all I care is about who owns the licensing rights. Who do I have to call to get permission to use the song? It's okay if you wrote with somebody who's signed to a major publishing company, et cetera, et cetera. Just let me know. I don't want to think that you own 100% of it, and I go down the pike, and I play it for my director, and everybody loves the song, and I call you, and you go, oh, but my co-writer works for, you know, is signed to Sony. I'd rather know that up front. I deal with Sony ATV all the time. It's fine. Just let me know. No surprises. So don't give us any surprises. So the licensing information is important. But really, I just harp on, you know, sometimes we'll get a song and I'm just like, oh, man, especially if it's a general title. You know, it's a title saying Flowers. Well, I got 40 songs called Flowers. Who's, whose was this? Who sent me this? Have it show up in the metadata somehow that it's your song so I can contact you. So that's the important part. I don't, who the songwriters are, doesn't matter. Here's a little tidbit though, especially in nowadays with, you know, people in the in indie film and even TV, we love discovering music. Okay? We're not always looking for Katy, Katy Perry song. Right. Okay? We, look, we want some new discovery. That's, everybody's a hero when we discover something great that's new and, you know, never released or indie. If you're an artist, you have your artist name. That's awesome. Sometimes you're just a songwriter. I don't mean just a songwriter. You're right. a songwriter. And you're not looking to be a performing artist. So you may be hired, work for hire, so you still own the rights, a demo singer, and create an artist name. 
And the reason I say that, it's a little marketing psychology between a music supervisor and our supervisor, the director, the showrunner, studio, because they're going to sometime, they're, they're more naive about music. Um, and they'll look and go, oh, cool, who's this? Oh, it's this songwriter did a demo. Ah, oh, that's not cool. Do you have any artist songs? So that's a little something. You might create that, even if it's a made-up artist name or a moniker or, you know, the old Alan Parsons project, you know. Right. <laughs> create, create a name so I can say, oh, that's a, you know, let's say a songwriter from Australia. Oh, that's a new Australian artist named so-and-so. You know, it's cool. Let's get them before they're, you know, whatever. It's just a psychological thing between us and our people. I see the same thing um, happening with ad agencies when they're licensing music. They want to know, you know, is, is this an artist? Um, right. it, it used to be back in the days when I did audio post in New York in, in the mid 80s that they wanted to know um, if they could get famous actors to do the voiceovers. But that was because they wanted to go to dinner with Robert De Niro and get a picture that they could put in their <laughs> right. office. Not the same right. with the bands. So right. while we're on the subject of bands, let's talk about all the artists that sell, I would say most people, probably the majority, two thirds, maybe three quarters of all people making music in one form or another have used a distribution company like CD Baby, DistroKid, um, TuneCore. And I am not saying that any of these companies are doing anything shady or saying anything bad about them, but they all, there's a but for you. Uh, <laughs> they do have, a, a, when you're signing up for distribution to get your stuff out to Apple Music and uh, Spotify, whatever, uh, most, if not all the services have, have an area that says, would you like us to help you monetize your music? If so, check here. And hardly anybody reads the fine print. The fine print is one form of a publishing contract or another, or maybe an admin deal or another. People don't either know what they've signed. They're just uh, kind of horny to get something. You know, wow, I can make money. You're going to get my stuff on some YouTube videos or a TV show. Great. I'll check that box. And now they submit it to Taxi or, yeah, let's say they submit it to Taxi or a music library, wherever, some third-party source that you use as a music supervisor. And now this thing gets to you and you find out late in the game you know what, let me, let me rephrase this. Let's say that you've gotten a piece of music from Taxi and the artist owns, uh, thinks they own all rights or control all rights. Um, is it ever problematic for you? I know it is for libraries when they find out that the stuff's already published and the artist didn't even understand that. Um, is it ever problematic for you or not such a big deal? Um, no, as long as I know who licensed it. If you, if you put your music up through TuneCore and then you, you did that and now they handle the licensing and they're going to put their uh, song on ASCAP as the publisher and the administrator, that's kind of between you and them as far as the money flow. I don't care about the money flow. I don't care who we have to send a check to. I, I will need to know for the cue sheet, which we can talk about in a second, who is the publisher that should be getting the royalties, but more who is who has the rights to actually sign and authorize the clearance and the license? Let's if, look you've, if you've signed your rights to them, my answer is, let me know, hey, here's my song. If you like my song, TuneCore handles the publishing. 
most of the artists I know don't even remember that they check that box and assign the rights. And if they do remember, they don't really understand what they did. And so they might put themselves down as, you know, Michael Lasko Publishing um, and, and not even include, let's say, DistroKid in the conversation. Is it problematic for you at a later date when DistroKid through some sort of, you know, audio identification or fingerprint system finds out that that thing actually made it into your uh, TV series. And it's, they... it's a, it, it becomes a problem. So you guys need to know what you sign. Don't check a box. Why would you check a box? If a mechanic said, I'll fix your car, check this box. And the box said, if the car works, I own your car. Would you have read, would you have checked the box? Okay. So... There was a, one of your questions. I just went back to the screen because I've been um, pacing through my whole house. You've been on. You've been on. I've been taking a hike with you, Michael, awesome. through my house. <laughs> um, but I just went back and government project development or whoever it was um, asked the question: Do I ever check ASCAP or BMI before I contact the writer? That ties into this because when I'm clearing a song from you, I'm back on my hike now around the house. When I'm clearing a song from somebody, if I call. You know, I contact one of these people. Hey, I love your song. Why don't you use your song? It'll be great. Michael Lasko Publishing. You know, mm. you can you can use the song. I'm really thrilled. I'm really happy. Part of my clearance and part of the license is indemnification. You are indemnifying me. I make you sign something. I will not mix your song in unless you sign the clearance form, which is basically like a pre-license. It's a permission approval form. It's one page, sometimes one and a half pages. Basically says, you know, it, the it's a permission. You get to use my song under these terms. I still own it. You can use it for this production in that scene. And you're going to pay me X dollars up front. And that's it. But the other part of that is I'm now indemnifying you that I'm letting you use my song. I am telling you that if somebody else claims this song, you're not responsible. I will take the lawsuit myself. Okay? So when I, if I'm clearing a song from one of your listeners and they sign the clearance, they're indemnifying me. So if somebody else comes out of the woodwork and say, hey, that's our song. Yeah. I have a piece of paper from them that legally they were claiming it. You have a problem with them. Go chase them down. Okay? Now... To that person's uh, question, do I check ASCAP or BMI? I need the correct information when I do the cue sheet at the end. The cue sheet is basically a listing of all the music. Won't go through all the details, but it lists every song, every piece of score, who the writers, who the publishers, was it used, background featured for how many seconds, boom. All the societies get that cue sheet, and that's how they pay royalties. So I will go to ASCAP and BMI to make sure that I'm listing it. Those are the two biggest ones. They have the majority of the music, so most things are found there. I'll have to go to CSAC or GMR, different places also. But So if I go to ASCAP, and this has happened to me, I'll go to ASCAP and go, wait, that song isn't by Joe Schmo Publishing. That's, or, you know, Michael Laskow Publishing with that writer Joe Schmo. It's actually Joe Schmo care of TuneCore. Mm -hmm. So wait, TuneCore has a song. Then I have to call Joe Schmope and go, dude, what did you do? You don't control this. And then they will have to call up TuneCore, TuneCore saying, 
all right, we'll let you out of your deal or else, you know, we'll take care of the royalties. You can keep your fee, but we'll do it becomes a hassle. Right. And it's a hassle against your timeline, which might be you need this thing. You needed it, you know, available yesterday. And now you're a day late because of this, maybe two days late while they work this out. And you've got no guarantee that they will work it out to a happy ending. Right. And, and if it's an indie artist or an indie writer that I get to answer this person's question, sometimes I will go to ask for BMI just to kind of make sure that this is an indie person that knows their business. If I've never worked with them before, but I really like their song, I might just research to see if it's even registered, that song. And that's where I'll sometimes go, oh, wait, this is a TuneCore song. Then I'll call my, you know, one of my contacts at TuneCore saying, do you guys claim this song because we want to use it? And I'll clear the song to TuneCore. This makes a, a strong case. People often ask me, excuse me, why wouldn't I just go directly to a supervisor? You know, I, I met this guy at the road rally. He was really nice after the panel. He came to the front of the stage and knelt down and I handed him my CD. We had a little conversation later on in the afternoon. I saw him at the bar. I bought him a beer. Really nice guy. Um, speaking about you, of course. And uh, Well, it, it can't be me because A, if they handed me a CD, you know that I'd hand it right back to him because I don't take CDs because <laughs> I don't even have a CD player. And two, you know that I drink rum and tequila, not beer. But aside from that, let's continue. <laughs> okay, so um, I've tried, I, I've lost myself now. Uh, oh, bypassing, wait, 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 uh, going wait. directly to, to the supervisor because this way, if you use their song, they get 100% of everything, um, but it hasn't gone through a third party. And a lot of supervisors I know say, no, I want it to go through a third party because it's an extra layer of protection for me. They've done that due diligence to know, uh, you know that it's not already signed with TuneCore, CD Baby, DistroKid, whomever. Um, is, is there safety in using a third party? First of all, Third parties, you know, will do the uh, curation for you. So you know that the stuff you're going to get in a folder is at least in the ballpark of what you're looking for and not wildly flung to the outfield. Right. Um, and there's that extra legal protection. Is that a, a fair statement? Yes. Um, I'll also, I, I'm back sitting down now. Uh, yes, rum and tequila together or separately. Either way works. Um, <laughs> just answering some of these questions. Somebody said that they got their, the names passed up there. Whether I said something about got the song relinquished, I guess, back from CD Baby or one of those places. You can get the songs back. Again, they do a good service. So there's nothing, like you said, there's nothing bad about these services. Right. Um, and if you find that, oh, shoot, I didn't realize that I checked that box you can get it back from them. You can ask. Just just ask people. Professionals, you know, um, you just want to know. You want to know your situation. And if, let's say, a publisher or someone has your song and they won't give it back to you, that's okay. Work with that publisher on that song. Go write a whole bunch of other songs. Okay? Yep. Um, and, um, wait, the constantly asked if they are a publisher. They said, we are your publisher admin, but you are 100% clear to use it. Carol Nicodemi, you just want to check, just where are your publishing admin, you want to ask them who does the clearance, who does the actual license, who does the physical paperwork. They may collect your money, but you know they're your publishing administrator. In theory, they should be the one doing the physical paperwork. Um, back to your question, Michael. Um, 
parties, I've been asked this before, should indie people go through a taxi or some of these pitching reps, you know, people that you've had on panels with me, mm-hmm. you know, up there, this some great reps. Yes. Do your research on the people. Are they reputable? You know, taxi is a great resource because the people that you put on your panels or at the rally or that you connect with, you've researched them. You've done the work to right. vet people. Okay. And it's not saying that everybody's good or better, but they're, they're valid. They're credible. They're legitimate. They're not going to screw anybody over. Okay. So a way to get to a music supervisor to develop a long-term relationship Use Taxi or some of these other people that you put on your panels. Use professionals in the industry as your conduit until you're until you have a few successes under your belt, until you have confidence not only in your music but in the process. Somebody wrote something here about, well, this is confusing or mind blowing, and you know, so many pieces to the puzzle. It, it is, but it isn't. It's like anything else. Doing anything the first time, you know, cooking a certain meal the first time is hard. It becomes easier once you break the ice. Um, so, yes, I think to answer your question, if Taxi sends me a song, I feel that Taxi has vetted the people. Now, I've used songs from Taxi, not only from the Road Rally, but I've used songs recently that Taxi has pitched to me from my call-outs, from my briefs. Right. Okay? And I will then contact those people directly, because Taxi will say, here's the here's the person, contact them. And once in a while, there's somebody that just, they ask too many questions, and I don't have, too, I don't have enough time to educate them. They need to educate themselves. But, uh, but they're still legitimate. Other times, people have been, they've taken the time to, by working with a Taxi, they've actually educated themselves. So I would say, don't use Taxi or any of these other companies just as a, you do all the work for me. Use it to learn, learn the process. Oh, I sent it to Taxi and Taxi sent it to this person and that person now likes it. Understand the process. Okay, Taxi has said at their road rally or on your quarantine talks, wherever, (laughs) any of these suggestions... It's all education. It's all about creating the ability to say, I know just enough to trust myself to have a conversation with someone and know what they're talking about. Hardest thing for me is to clear songs with independent people from Podunk, wherever. And the first thing they do is say, well, what do you do with my song? Well, do I own it? Are you asking for it? Well, how much is it? And what are you making me sign? Do I need to go to a lawyer for this or that? It's like, wait, if you feel like I'm going to do something that is not kosher, not ethical, not legal, whatever, just hang up the phone. Don't let me use your song. I'm going to move on because the last thing I'm going to want to do is work with somebody that's always going to question. Now they're questioning it out of innocence and out of not knowing. Right. But it's scary for me because scared people tend to cause more issues. So to not get scared, do your research. Read this business of music. Go to a taxi road rally. Read magazine articles. Understand professionals 
are in this job to do the right thing because we have to keep our jobs too. We can't screw you because if we ever screw you, we're never going to get hired again because that's going to come out. That's the difference between the record side of the industry and the sync side of the industry. The sync side of the industry is trying to solve problems and fit puzzle pieces together, and the numbers usually aren't negotiable. The record industry side, there are people that will try and get the best deal, you know, which means you get the worst deal possibly. Uh, And so a lot of the lawyers, I I think it's cool that you mentioned lawyers because people say, well, I'm going to reach out to my cousin. You know, he's a lawyer here in Indiana and he's a music lawyer, which means he took a music law class while he was in college or law school as an elective. And uh, he doesn't understand the differences between the old record industry and the current sync industry. And they do assume that people are trying to screw them. I know you really, really well, and you would never screw anybody. You're not just a good guy, but you're an advocate. You're a lover of music. You're a lover of the people that create the music. And that is true of virtually every music supervisor I've ever met. Right. I mean, again, we're, we're, it doesn't mean that mistakes don't happen, but right. mistakes happen both ways. I clear songs and someone says, oh, I forgot that I gave my neighbor 2% of the song. I forgot to tell you that. Okay. <laughs> I get that all the time. Um, but no, we're all in this business together. We're all, we are all collaborating. Okay. I'm a kid from Connecticut. There's another hint um, <laughs> that is grateful that all these years I've been able to do what I get to do. I get to play in this game. You know, I used to say on my worst day, it's like, I hate my job, but please don't make me go get a real one, okay? We're thankful for that, but the, but the truth is, I'm really an advocate for just people being able to do what makes them happy and fulfilled, whether it's full-time, part-time, hobby, their job. We're all, we're all allowed to do that. Um, you get a real good sense, you know, like you said before, the spidey sense. Can I trust this person or not? Right. And if you if you feel like you kind of can't trust them, sorry, I got barking dogs going around my place here. If you feel like you can't trust someone, just tell, just, again, hang up the proverbial phone, move on. Don't ever put yourself at risk if you feel that way. You'll start to trust people the more you trust yourself the more you trust that you have knowledge and understanding. And that's exactly why I go to the trouble of doing Taxi TV, the road rally, the newsletter, the quarantine happy hours, because you're right, we're more than a pitching service. If we don't have educated musicians pitching their music through us, then it's going to come back to bite them on the butt in the end. And let that be my final butt, because we're actually over on our time. But... uh, I I, I wish there were any questions, like five more minutes of questions. Um... We're already almost five minutes over. I'll tell you what, we will go ex- really five minutes. Yeah, if couple, uh, somebody says another hint, barking dogs. Yeah, you're the only music supervisor that has a barking dog. Uh, yeah. Okay, let's do two more questions and then we'll call it a day. Okay, you, you ask me questions. All right, I'm uh, waiting to see if somebody has a question. Uh, do supervisors ever do callbacks, leave a message? if you can't get in touch with the writer by phone? So that's a great question. Um, availability, I, I'm surprised how many people that don't know my 
personal cell phone number, I call them with an 818. If I lived in Wisconsin and I saw 818-310-213, anything that looked like Los Angeles or New York, and I just put something out there on a pitch, I would pick up that phone in a hurry. Will you go to any trouble to connect with somebody if you're trying to license and you can't reach them on the first try? I've had to find people through Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'll go different places to find them if I if I don't have their number or can't find them or they're not answering. Um, I would say email is at least for me my preference. Okay. So because you know, hopefully, I know a lot of people nowadays they do text. Um, and I've, and I text people also. So what I would do probably before I would call, I'll do an email or a text to make, to make contact, to make sure that they answer first. And then we'll schedule a time to do a phone call. But very often I'll license songs, never talk to the person. It's all email. It's a lot quicker. (laughs) Yeah. Here's a, I will say it's a cute question, but it really has no relevance. Um, it can be cute. When will my ship come in? <laughs> at literally at a moment's notice, because you don't, you know, we've all heard the old thing of like the the ten year overnight success. Yeah, exactly. You know, I I have for example, I've used songs that have been pitched to me years ago, and I'll call someone up and go, surprise. Yeah. So you know, keep in it for the long game. Your ship will come in when you're basically. You know, when your hair's not done and you haven't done laundry and all of a sudden someone's knocking on the door with your ship, you know. Okay. Uh, somebody asked if uh, they need to move to Los Angeles if they're desirous of eventually scoring films. Um, depends where you're from because our weather is awesome here. Um, <laughs> if you're, uh, um, I'm sorry, you said if they're desirous of scoring films? Yeah. Eventually, Yes. Okay. As a songwriter artist, you can be anywhere, but when you're scoring, and there's always exceptions, but the exceptions usually are people who have some success under their belt. Um, and I've used, you know, there's a lot of productions going on in Vancouver. I've used Vancouver composers. Um, and nowadays, you know, I'm about to work with a major composer on a film. Um, we just got locked picture today. Wow. And, you know, um, we're all living in Los Angeles, but between the director, the composer, and myself, we're all hours away from each other because it's Los Angeles. And because we're in uh, Corona time, we're isolating anyway, so it's, you might as well be living in Nebraska or Australia or anywhere else. Um, I've done a film with somebody in Switzerland, um, the composer. But let me just say the answer is, Probably, because it's about developing a relationship. A composer, director, especially in film. You know, television, you have your showrunners and the studio, and the directors have come and gone by the time they're, you're in post-production. Mm. But especially in film, it really is this relationship where you need to see the other person's eyes. You need to be able to sit with them in spot. You need to be able to develop this relationship to get a sixth sense of what the other person is feeling and thinking and feeling, you know, when they, when they see your music against picture and they want to give you notes, if you're in the room together, it just helps again, later on when you've really 
gotten successful and really have experience and especially experience with a director if you're doing all the director's films let's say you have a you now have the shorthand already but if you're new to the game and you're here the opportunities are endless and boundless here because you can actually develop a relationship with somebody well, I am grateful for our relationship. I'm so grateful that several years ago, almost many years ago now, when I called you and said, uh, can I meet you for brunch? And you didn't know me from Adam, and we met, and it's a pretty fair statement to say 15 minutes into that meal, you and I hit it off in a big way and have become really good friends over the years. And I appreciate your friendship um, and the fact that you took time to answer uh, my questions and the members questions today and educate them because you know anybody not anybody there are a lot of people making great music but knowing the business side understanding the psyche of a music supervisor understanding why music is used in scenes the way it's used all this stuff that you've shared with us today i feel extremely fortunate to to know you because you are possibly the best explainer of this stuff that I've ever met in my 40 some years in the industry. So thank I you. I appreciate I appreciate that. Just for everybody else, just be true to yourself, make music that you're proud of. Don't be scared of the process, learn the process, learn the process through mistakes. Again, it's one song, it's one film, it's one opportunity, it's one license. If you go, Oh shoot, I shouldn't have done that. You have many more opportunities. Um, just, Keep, keep forging ahead and enjoy this. I mean, you know, we're talking about entertainment. Enjoy it. Well, thank you, Mystery Music Supervisor. Um, I will talk to you soon, and hopefully when the COVID is over, we can finally get together with our wives and have that long overdue brunch. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, and talk to you soon. Okay. Bye, Michael. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> And now you see why I consider him a friend. He's awesome. Well, folks, that's it for today's show. I hope you learned something. Um, I always enjoy talking to him, uh, just, you know, on a personal level. Sometimes we actually have conversations that aren't about business. Um, so that's it. I will see you tomorrow. Oh, don't forget, subscribe. Hit the like button if you haven't already. Um, hit the little alert bell so you can find out when these shows are cranking up. Thank you all for watching. Uh, appreciate your kind attention today. And I will see you tomorrow right back here at 4 o'clock for another exciting episode of Taxi's Quarantini Happy Hour. Oh, don't forget, leave your comments to try and get a copy of this book. All right, you guys? Bye.